Again, this morning we turn in our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Last week we ended the churches, the seven churches, and today we're going to move from earth to heaven. And it's going to be a heavenly message. So uh, I want us to turn there, but before we go there, I want to ask the question this morning, so what? So what? We come here every Sunday, we open up our Bibles, we get a lot of downloading knowledge, don't we? Every Sunday, and it's not only this church, there's a lot of churches in these massive downloads in knowledge. Somebody preaches about one part in the Bible. No doubt in my mind, this morning, all over the world, and tonight as we go to sleep and other people wake up, there will be certain passages that's been preached through this. I'm talking about Bible-believing churches, yes? I believe every single book in this Bible today, within the next 24 to 48 hours, every single book will be preached. From Genesis to Revelation. And there's a massive download of information. So my question is, so what? What does it mean for you? It means that all life stems from God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. So that is what you do every time, every time you come in, John. That is what you're coming to do. So what else? Come on, people. What does it mean to you? Eternal life. What is eternal life? Have you made that out? For how long? Forever and ever. Do you actually understand what forever and ever and ever means? Do we? I want to say yes we do, but we don't. So what? We come in and we get this downloads and downloads... This morning, let me, let me just take it, we're going to get to our word, but I think it's a good session now. This morning, we're going to preach, I'm going to tell you about the throne room of God, we're going to have a peek into heaven. But what is that going to do to you personally as you walk out of these doors today? Absolutely. We're nothing. We've lost Poor little pauper souls. Is it something like that? Yes, they are. You see, there's one thing for me in all of this, dear friends, and that is that faith cometh by hearing. And every Sunday, we come together to do what? To build our faith. Do you truly believe that? 
Do you truly want to take the words that I'm preaching here today and apply it to your life? You see, the only way that this is going to impact your life is if you take today and apply it to your life and do it. Do it. So I'm looking at this passage now. There's so many people who write books about, I've been to heaven, I've been dead and I've been to heaven. And you know how those books sell? It's like, Hot cupcakes, it just sells like that. Everybody wants to know what heaven is like. Isn't it true? You know, your friends talk about you, people in your workplace talk about you, a new book comes out, a new movie, The Shack comes out, and everybody goes crazy about it. The Shack, by the way, is out of the pit of hell, and every church who preaches that is a false church. In fact, that's not the message. I don't want to get sidetracked. But here's the thing, friends, beloved, brothers and sisters, let not the Word of God become mundane. Do you know what that means to mundane? It's just, let's get the download of knowledge and knowledge and knowledge, but no change in your life. What is it going to mean to you today to see the throne of God? I don't... I'm not interested in any other book about heaven than the book. It's everything is in there. Now we've got different interpretations of it, but there's only one that matters and that's God's view. That's what we want to give. There's one verse before I get into our study of Revelation, which I love. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 29. Because there's one thing that I've said. Today, Today, as of today, every book in this Bible will be preached. From Genesis to Revelation, somebody will open up somewhere. And some certain things will be revealed to people. And no doubt, people sitting in this room, there's things revealed to you that has not been revealed to me yet. But you know what? I love it that God is so patient with us, Andre. He's so patient with me, personally. He's so patient with us collectively. He's so patient with you. And you know what He does? He reveals it to us, but He reveals it to you different than He reveals it to me. And I love God for that. That's diversity in personality. And here we find now in this passage here, I want you to listen to this verse because I love this verse. Deuteronomy chapter 29, 29. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord God. The Deus obscanditos. That's the Latin word for that. It's obscanditos. It's, it's not revealed to us. It's behind a veil. We can't, it's there, but we can't see it. And slightly but surely it's been revealed. But there are secret things of God which will not be revealed to us until we die and see Him in glory. There is no man on earth who knows everything about the Bible. No man. And he who makes such a claim is wrong. And he who thinks he's so high and lifted up with that puffed up knowledge which corrupts is wrong. He might be sincere, but he is sincerely wrong. It says it right there that the secret things belong to whom? 
to the Lord our God. And it is up to Him how He reveals it to us. The Dios obscanditos belongs to Him. But then he goes on. He says that word but, which is a sharp contrast. He says those things. Everybody says those things. Come on, say it. Those things, which things, which we are discovering day after day, week after week, Sunday after Sunday. We had a revelation over the last uh, 10 weeks in the book of Revelation. We had a revelation since February last when we started here in the book of John. You had a revelation as you read your Bible. But the things which are revealed, it is the Deus Revelatos. That's the Latin word for it. It means slowly but surely the veil has been pulled open so that you can see. And for what? I say, so what? So what? Let me finish the verse. The things which are revealed, the Dios Revelators, belongs to whom? To us and to our children forever that they may do all the words of the law. So that is, for me, the so what is. The Lord will reveal things today out of this passage for you. Isn't it wonderful? That he looks at you personally this morning because he loves you so much that he's going to reveal something of his abscandidos, his secret things, to you personally. Now the question is whether you want to receive it. Andre read a word this morning. He says that send them and says their hearts will be dull, the earring will be, they cannot hear, they cannot see. That's why your friends say, I can't get so excited about the word because I can't see what you see. And they are right, they don't tell a lie. And we need to pray for them, that the Lord through the Holy Spirit open up the ears and the eyes and their hearts. But friend, this morning, it's not about them, it's about you. Have you got ears to listen? Seven times in the previous week, seven times, the Lord spoke to me, says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. And I ask you the question for seven weeks, so what? Have you heard? Have you listened? And have you done? We can do church just like that. It can become a habit. Let's go, let's go, let's go. It's a habit. And you know what? If I'm lonely, I can go there and have fellowship. Fellowship is good. It's from God. It's koinonia. It's the gathering of the saints. And we've got Jesus as a combined. We can talk about him. But friends, let us not fall into habit. But let's come to the church of God and say, Lord, the Dios obscanditos is not there for us to see now. But reveal to me Sunday after Sunday after Sunday the secret things of God. So what? For what? So that I might grow in my faith. You see, friends, in the book of James, it says that now we see in a mirror. What do we see in that mirror? The mirror is Jesus Christ. That's it. And as we look into the mirror, day by day, He is transforming us to become more like the image of His Son. That is what it is. So I don't want you to come here every, every Sunday and say, oh, you know, I've got to do this church thing. I'm going to go there, or maybe I'm going to get a call and you're going to say, where were you on Sunday? I'm not a micromanagement pastor. <laughs> you get too many of those in the world. If you want one of those, there's many, plenty of churches out there. 
I'm not going to check up on you. You serve God. You don't serve me. You are connected to God. You're not connected to me. I better get to our study this morning, Tyler, shouldn't I? So again, let's now open up into this wonderful book, the book of Revelation. And now, and our call-out verse this morning is, Behold, a door standing open in heaven. Just those words makes me excited. A door open in heaven. Look up, there's a door in heaven. And it's open, it's not closed. Friend, that door this morning is still open for you and for me because we are living in the dispensation of grace. There is a door open. You might not see it now like he saw it and like Ezekiel saw it back in the book of Ezekiel, but there is a door open by the grace of God. And you should now shout hallelujah as loud as you can. Hallelujah. Praise, thank you, brother. I was counting on you. Chapter 4 verse 1 says, After these things I've looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. What a wonderful verse. It's a change of scenery. It goes from one place to another. It goes from earth to heaven. It goes from a church dispensation of grace to what's going to happen after this dispensation of grace comes to an end. And this is referred to so many times to the rapture that takes place which says there's a door and then he's going to give him an inv invitation to say, come up here and I'll show you the things which needs to take place after this. You are invited this morning to come into the throne room of God. How privileged are you? But I want to remind you about the key of the book of Revelation. This opens up the book of Revelation. Now, friends, I do want to say at the beginning as well that I don't stand here and hold that I am the final word of authority on every single thing in the book of Revelation. This is not my view that I'm preaching this morning. I believe it is a biblical view that I'm going to give you this morning about going to heaven. There are certain people who've got different views, and God bless them. But this morning, I want to stand on what the Word says and, and explain it as He gives it to us logically through the Word of God. Amen? So the key, as we find in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, He says to John on the Isle of Pathmos, He says, write the things which you have seen. And we've studied that. It was in chapter 1, and we saw Jesus in the midst of the churches. And that excites me. If you ask me the question back, so what? I say, man, let me tell you. The so what for me is that Jesus Christ is still in control of the church. Although there are so many churches this morning and false teachers and these churches who's going on a bandwagon and, and feeding popcorn to the people and fluff to the people, although they are there, although they are false self-proclaimed prophets and, and, and you call them whatever you call them, although they are there, I know in my heart, reading the Word of God, that the church of God is strong and it's healthy. Because he said it himself, he says that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And if that says it's so, and we come to the book of Revelation, and we see him standing right in the midst of the church, no doubt he's going to sort out all of these falsies. He'll sort them out. Oh, we can warn, but I leave it over to God because I want to preach the gospel. Amen? The good news. Now he says there, the things which you have seen, that's the past. 
Then he says in Revelation 1.19, And the things which are the present, which is the church age, the dispensation of grace, which we've looked at for seven weeks now, the seven churches. We are still in the dispensation of grace. We are still in the church age. But there cometh a day when this age will stop. And then he says the third thing, he says, and the things which will take place after this. And that runs from chapter 4 to chapter 19. It is after the church age. In fact, if you look at that last one, the last part of the key, he says, and the things which will take place after this. The Greek word that he uses for after this is metatauta. Metatauta. Why is it so important? Because twice in that verse, it is repeated. Twice. He says, after this, Metatauta, uh, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. Where is the church going? Is it going down to hell? Come on, be with me. Heaven. No, the church is going, where is heaven? Is it down or up? up. So it makes, it makes logic that the door will be in heaven. Friend, if I die today, I'm going to heaven, I'm going up. Because he says it, this I tell you so that you may know. And he saw that. He says, after this, Metatauta, I saw this door open in heaven. Just imagine you walk out this morning, you look up and he's going, what is that? Oh goodness, it's a door. Now what does an open door mean to you? Invitation. It's an invitation. If you come to my house and the door is closed, what do you normally do? You ring the bell or you knock. And then you start seeing me peeking through. <laughs> <laughs> Or you see the curtains. Oh, it's them. Oh. <laughs> Not in this church. Come on. Why? They normally say if you laugh, you're guilty. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but if the door is open, what do you do? If the door is open, I know sometimes you feel you just want to walk in. Because it's an open invitation. And second time he repeats it, he says, there's the invitation, he says, come up here and I will show you things which will take place after this. Twice he repeats, metatauta, after an event finished and a new event starts. That's what's the, the deeper root meaning of that word. Nineteen times before this, he mentions church. Nineteen times. Twice he says, come up here, metatauta, after these things, come up here. So I think it is very significant for us to understand that. In the whole Bible, we are looking up. From all our studies, we are looking up for our glory. He says, look about for He's going to come on the clouds. I'm looking up. Now He's going to step us up into heaven to look from heaven down and see it from a heavenly perspective, what is going on on the earth. Now John will use symbols. However, nothing, not everything in the book of Revelation is symbolic. And we're going to go through that bit by bit. Stay with me. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 19, we see God's judgment upon the world preceding Jesus' earthly reign. You remember the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ is coming back to rule physically on this earth? He's coming back. He's going to rule from Jerusalem. I know they are bombing the place. I mean, how many times can they bomb the place that a rock lies like that? It gets bombed, it falls over, it gets bombed, it falls over. But there cometh a day, friend, when he's coming back. And you know what's going to happen? He's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. Hallelujah! And he's going to walk down there. And you know where he's going to walk in according to the Bible? Through the eastern gate. 
He's, and, and I've seen photos of that gate. Haley, I mean, that gate is so rusted, you will need some explosive to explode it open. Guess what? He's coming with explosive power. And I don't know where the oil is going to come from, but those hinges is going to crack and it's going to open up. They put a graveyard right in front of it, the Muslims. They put a graveyard there. You know what's going to happen? Does he fear death? No way. There ain't no way you're going to keep my Jesus from ruling from Jerusalem. The, the city of God. So uh, this precedes now what's going to happen before he comes in. We see seven scrolls, seven trumpets, seven signs, seven bowls. And, and in chapter 4, it's going to show where he comes from. We're going to go now into the throne room of God. I'm trying to prompt you up here. Are you getting excited? Yes. Amen. You, you, you should sit there and say, let's go, let's go there. Let's go there. I've got the invitation. You got me. They tell me, tell me. And this is what we're going to do now, look into this. So, so we see also, friends, that others were invited before John. Have you noticed that? Do you know that? If you, if you read through Ezekiel chapter 1, you're going to see Ezekiel chapter 1 nearly word for word what is in Revelation chapter 4. Nearly word for word. And we're going to spend some time in there today. I just got to keep my eye on the watch. In Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, where my brother read this morning, we see that uh, Isaiah had an invitation to see the throne of God. He says, In the year of King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. His authority filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, and each one of them had six wings. With two He covered His face, with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. Can you imagine how it, it must have looked like? And one cried to another and said, we sang it this morning. What did they say? Hey, how's it looking on that side? What's it? No, no. They were focused on the throne. And what did they see? They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Holy, holy, holy. Man, that excites me. You know what they see? They see holiness. We serve a holy God. And the post of the doors was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. And there were no smoke machine there. These days they buy them. Man, it's a racket, I'm telling you. I've been to places and they say, come, come, power, power. Man, they don't know what they're talking about. Go and read this. The doorposts were shaken when he came in that. Today he's here through the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to shake this place. And I think the people of this place will be so thankful for that. Can you imagine every Sunday if God comes in his power and he shakes this place? They'll say, no man, we can't have you here anymore. Look at the place, it's all falling apart. We'll be looking for holes every single week, brother. We'll run out of holes. I thank God for His might and His power and for His wisdom. It's true. <laughs> no, no, no. The house that He shakes these days is this house. Is this house. 
You know what you need to do? You need to take the blood and apply it to the doorpost of your heart. And let me tell you, if you do that, your house will be shaken. And it needs to be shaken with the Spirit of God. Yes. There's another man who was invited to this. We find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, a man by the name of Paul. He doesn't mention himself. He mentions himself in the third person. He said, it's doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Dios revelators. Go back to Deuteronomy. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago whether in the body I do not know or whether it's not in the body I do not know, but God knows. It, I find it amazing. Here is Paul writing about going to heaven. He didn't write a book. He wrote it in the Bible through the Holy Spirit. He didn't take claim for that. He even says, I know of a man. These, they, somebody dies and they see something and they come back and they write books and people want to have them in their churches. It's in the Bible. It's in the Word of God. Yes. So here he says now, he says, such was caught up, caught up, up to the third heaven. And by the way, there's not seven heavens. There's only three heavens. Three heavens. There's not a purgatory in between the heavens. And I thank God for that. How would planes fly over? You know, bump into purgatory. Sorry, I'm, I shouldn't go there. But, but here's the thing, friends. There's only three heavens. The one which you see there with the clouds where the birds fly in. And it's a beautiful heaven. Then there's a heaven beyond that. That's where the, the moon and the stars and, and the whole, the, the expanse of God is. And above that is the third heaven. And this invitation that John got here, the invitation or what Isaiah saw and now that uh, Paul saw was into that third heaven. It went through these clouds. It went through the second heaven into the third heaven. That's where we are going this morning. He says, I was caught into the third heaven. And I know of such a man, whether it's in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise. Now he even names for us, how wonderful is the word. He even names for us the third heaven. The third heaven is called paradise. Paradise. That's right. When he was hanging on the cross, you remember? He said, you will be with me in paradise. But where was paradise at that point in time? It was down. It was where Abraham was. Comforting. But when Jesus died and he ascended to heaven, paradise shifted into heaven. It's in heaven. That's a different message. But let me continue. He says in verse 4, how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. inexpressible words doesn't mean that he just couldn't for his vocabulary his capacity of his mind he couldn't how do you explain if you go back if you go back to Jesus's day how do you walk in the dusty streets with with sandals on how do you explain to somebody an Apple iPhone it is like what in their day Come on, how do you explain that? It is inexpressible. You would be going crazy trying to explain to them back in the day, uh, if, or even a motor car with an engine in. It is like, um, you know, that uh, chariot over there, but it's got an a electric motor. What is electric? Uh, okay, uh, it is like that, but it's got a power which you can't see. Well, what is that? You'll be crazy going on about that. Here he says it's inexpressible. But then he also says, 
which is not lawful for a man to utter. But now we find in Revelation John going on, and how does he explain it? By symbols, by things which they might think about, and this is how we're going to find it as well. So there are just four things out of this chapter. We're going to do the whole chapter. And let me just say, friends, there are, I can, we can spend three weeks on this chapter. I'm not going to spend so much time. But I just want to look at the throne of God, the 24 elders, the four beasts, and the worship. And then I want to ask you at the end, so what? So, in verse 2, uh, he says, Immediately I was caught in the Spirit, I, I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. So the first thing we notice is we see that there is a throne set in heaven. I like it when he uses the word set. Friend, while you and I am sitting here this morning, there is a throne in heaven. You know what the atheists say this morning? The atheists said, there is no throne in heaven because there is no God. The humanists say there is a throne in heaven, but who sits on the throne? Man, I'm sitting in on that throne. But the child of God says what? He says there is a throne in heaven. And you know, if you ask me again the so what question, if I go in my daily life, I go to work every day, I do what I do, I know in the back of my mind, praise God, this is temporary. There is a throne in heaven. If somebody does something against me which I don't like, which happens, is it? You know, they do something, you get upset by it. You know, I don't get so upset. Why? Because there's a throne set in heaven. I thank God there's a throne in heaven. You know, there's nothing on this earth that will be able to influence that throne. <laughs> oh, man. No political party, not the leftists or the extreme right in, the, in, in politics, no corruption. You can't pay off against that throne. No, no, this throne stands so secure. It is, it is founded in righteousness and in judgment. That's what it's said in. Righteousness and judgment. We're going to see it in a few seconds. And then he goes on to say, one sat on the throne. Praise God for that. The throne is not empty. And let me just say, when Jesus Christ came, you see there's people who believe that when Jesus came to earth, the throne was empty. No, no, no. The Father is in the throne. The throne was never empty. From everlasting to everlasting, it will never be empty. And let me tell you, there's no one who can come and overthrow the throne or the one who sat on the throne. Lucifer tried that, you remember. See what happened to him. Then it amazes me that there are people we are walking on this earth who think they can take on God. You hear them talk and they say, man, I had such a big fight with God this morning. I go, what? Jeez, man, it's a miracle that you're still walking with us. Whew. Can I shake your hand? Are you sure you're alive? You cannot take on God. He sits on the throne and He's everlasting. You see, that is the declaration of God's presence. And, and, and you see what He sees now. The next we see, He says, He who sat there was like, was like. 
There is no description in the Bible that I could find that describes God. Some people say, oh, but the Bible says, you know, His hands, He looks like us. No, 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 no. We are created in His image. The fact that we've got a heavenly body like this doesn't mean that God looks like us. The fact that Jesus walked in, no, no. It says there that He took on our form when He came to earth. That's Jesus. But the Bible says that God is spirit. Now, it's not a... Just a spirit that blows. No, no, it's more powerful than that. Friend, you and I cannot contemplate how God is. If somebody asks you to describe to them God, how are you going to do that? You need the knowledge and the wisdom from God. And here he goes on, he says, and he starts to explain what it is. He says, and he who sat there was like, and now he says the first one, he was like Jasper. Jasper. There is the idea of like a diamond. It is perfectly white and see-through its color. You see, when you read in the book, in, 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 in the book of John, the letters of John, he says that in him there is no darkness at all. In him is light. The second one is, can you imagine seeing this? And, and he's going to try to explain it to the people what he's seeing. And the, and the only thing that he can grab on, he says, it's like jasper. So white and so overwhelming is that white, it's like jasper. And then he says, it's like sardius, the sardius stone. Now these sardius stones they got from Sardis, it's a red stone, it's red, as red as you can find. He says, these are the two things that is coming from the throne. That's what I could see. I couldn't see a man sitting there. I couldn't see, but I see this, this jasper and the sardius on the throne. And you say, what does that mean? Well, the whiteness shows of God's holy righteousness. He is absolutely righteous, pure. We've seen that before. And then the sardius, the red on that is like judgment crimson we find here the picture of jesus hanging on the cross shedding his blood for you and for me so on this cross is the absolute righteousness of god and on this cross is also the judgment of god they say god is a loving god have you heard that how can a loving god do this to mankind because friend on the throne of god is represented their judgment and he had to, he, listen, listen, he had to shed his blood, his blood, so that we do not get the judgment of that throne. That's what he had to shed. And his blood wasn't any other, he didn't have blue blood in him like the Queen of England. He had red blood. I, I know it's not blue blood, but you know, you know where I'm going. It was red like crimson. And this is, this is represented on the throne. And friend, look, I can't get more excited about it. I can just, you know, when he saw that, and all of Scripture comes together at this point, and you see it is righteous and it is judgment. And, and you know what is so wonderful when we sit at this table, that I know, oh poor sinner that I am, through the bloodline of Adam, who failed and who sinned in the garden, and I stand there, and I think, who do I think I am to stand before a holy God like that? That righteousness, and you know what it is? It is the blood of Christ that keeps me there. Oh man. 
How wonderful it is when he sees this. You see, so what? I say, man, it's many what's for me. It means so much that if I'm walking out of these doors today and I go to work, I get on a plane tomorrow to go to Sydney, wherever I am, I know that there is a throne in heaven and he is righteous and judge. And, and you know what? I'm free through the blood of Christ. So wonderful is it, friends, that this stones that he uses was engraved in his nation. In his nation. You find in Exodus chapter 39 verse 9, he says, They made the breastplate square by doubling it, and span was its length, and it spanned it with it. So it explains what they had to wear, the high priest. And they set in it four rows of stones. You see, God loves these stones. And he's, look at this. The first stone that he set, the, I find it fascinating this. The first stone is what? Is the sardius stone, the red one. You see the, the link, the bloodline from earth to heaven is through the blood of Christ. You start at the blood. When he went into heaven, from heaven, what was mentioned first? The jasper, the righteousness of God. Ha, oh, I, 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 I just want I've got so much that I want to give you there. Because if you see the cross as the cross over between heaven and earth, which it is because the Son of Man died there. If you see that, we go through the cross, even embraced on them. The first stone was the red stone, that crimson line of blood. But from Him comes the, the pureness of righteousness. See, can you see how important the cross of Christ is? Then he had topaz and emerald, that was green. The, third, the second row was turquoise, sapphire, diamonds. The third row, jacinth, agate, amethyst. The fourth row, beryl, onyx, and then jasper. Jasper, the first and the last. The alpha and the omega. I mean, you can, you can make so many things. I better hurry on. Because now he says, this is so much more fantastic for me. He says, and there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. He saw this. He saw that beautiful jasper and he saw the sardius and then he says around it was this this emerald is green this green and he doesn't just say a light no no he mentions a rainbow what does that mean the rainbow that was around the throne of god you see we take this back to a covenant that god made with his people and what was that covenant it was in genesis chapter 9 verse 12 you remember when god flooded the whole world not just America or Israel, no, no, the whole world, when the water subsided, he made a covenant with them. He said, I will not flood the world again. <laughs> El Gore, you are wrong. Global warmest, you are wrong. Duh. You know, I haven't got all your degrees. I didn't go to the same universities you went to, but I, I've got the Bible, and the Bible said there was a flood. And you know what the Bible also says? There will be not a flood again. They're just after your money. Different message again, sorry. No, I'm not apologizing, it is true. He says in verse 13, Genesis 9, 13, he says, I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant. You see how wonderful this is, friend, that... Sitting on the throne, there's a rainbow. For you and for me, it means that he is reminded of his promises to you and me. 
a covenant God. You know what that, that shows? It's His mercy. It's His mercy. I look up when it's cloudy like today, the sun is not out, you can't see the rainbow, but when I see a rainbow, I rejoice. People that I know get in a lift, and it's like this outside, oh, what an awful day. It's again a rainy day. Oh, it's a terrible day. I go, it's good. <laughs> Why? Because I constantly remember on rainy days. You know what they say on rainy days? It brings your mood down. I constantly remember on rainy days about the covenant of God. How wonderful is that? So let's continue on the second one, the 24 elders. He says... And around the throne were 24 elder, uh, thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceed lightning, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are seven spirits of God. Wow, what an amazing thing he saw. Friend, can, can you understand where we are? We're in heaven. We see what he saw. He just saw the throne. That took the first, when you go up, the first thing that you and I will see when we go up into heaven is what? Is the throne. We will be so taken by it. But he had a work to do. He had to write things down for us. I want to spend a million years and come at the throne. I don't even know what I'm saying. But here he then sees, further from that, he saw the thrones. And on thrones he saw 24 elders. Now, these 24 thrones, now, there's two views here. Some people reckon that these are angels sitting there. And some people reckon they are people sitting there, the church. Because you don't read about church, the ecclesia, after chapter 4 on the earth anymore. You read about them in heaven. And you, you get these references because an elder belongs to the church. <coughs> now, the ones who say that it could be angels, they say in John chapter 20 verse 9, 12, he says, well, you remember when Jesus was in the tomb and the two angels were sitting there when the stone was rolled away? There were two angels sitting there. And he, said, and he saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. So this now they say that they had white robes. You see, these 24 elders, they had white robes and they had crowns. So they say, you see, angels have white robes. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Then a white robe was given to each of them. This is the, the people who came from the earth. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer. So white robes were given to man and to angels. So it makes a good point there. Now, I'm not trying to diffuse what they say. But the thing that I would say is that crowns were only given for man. The crowns were given for man. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. And everyone who competes for the price is temperate. This is Paul writing to Corinth. In all things, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Friend, you and I are, are going to get an imperishable crown. Here now we see a focus in heaven. We see 24 thrones, 24 elders. And what did they have? A white robe and... A golden crown. God loves gold, but not the way that you and I love it. Now, the other fact for me that I lean towards this is actually the church is because elders are appointed to the church. 
Paul goes to Titus and to Timothy and he says, I want you to go and appoint elders in the church. This church are run by elders. That is God's leadership. But what I also like then, he says that, and from the throne proceed what? Lightning, thundering, and voices. Three times in the book of Revelation, it, it uses those words. Lightnings, thunderings, and voices. And where does this come from? It comes from Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. You remember when the law was given to Moses and the people were down on the mountain? What happened? What came from the mountain? Thundering lightning and, and voices. So what happened to the people then? They were so afraid. Why? Because friends of the sin in them. How can a sinful man approach a holy God? And then you see the power of God. Three times in the book of Revelation, as we're going to continue, we'll see this coming out. And every time it deals with the judgment of man to the earth. The fearful judgment. In Revelation chapter 8 verse 5, it talks about it, but we'll uh, deal with that when we get there. Now let's have a quick look at the four beasts. In Revelation chapter six, verse, uh, 4 verse 6, he says, Before the throne there was a great sea of glass, <coughs> excuse me, like a crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in the back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like a calf. The third was like a creature that had the face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. I just want to give you one picture here. Go in your Bible with me now to Ezekiel chapter 1. Because you can have now people saying, you see the Bible is contradicting itself here now. It's contradicting itself. Remember, he sees the throne, he sees the wonderful Jasper Sardius, he sees the emerald, he sees the 24 elders, and now he tells us, he focuses on these creatures he's seeing, these beasts he's seeing. In Ezekiel chapter 1, we find the same thing. He says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the third year, the 30th year, in the fourth month, as on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Seber, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. What did he see? Same as John here, he saw an open heaven. Same. And then he goes on to say, I'm, I'm just skipping you through, friends, because I, you can go and read the whole chapter. Look at verse 5. Uh, verse, verse 4. Then I looked and behold, a whirlwind was coming out from the north a great cloud was raging fire engulfing itself and brightness was all around it and irradiating out of its midst like a color of amber out of the midst of the fire. Also from within it came in the likeness of four living creatures and this was their appearance. They had, now listen to this, they had the likeness of a man. Each one, each one of them, had four faces, and each one had four wings. Can you imagine what I'm saying? Four faces. Friend, you know what? I thank God. I don't want to dabble. Let me pick a better word. I don't want to mess into the spiritual realm. You get people preaching from pulpits and say, we need to go into the spiritual realm. We need to see the angels. 
I'm telling you, if you see this angel in your earthly body, you'll be shaken to your core. Where that is, your bones. See now what he's saying, and this is not demons. This is, no, no, this is, this is the creatures, okay? He says each one of them had four faces. One year, one year, one year, one at the back. Even if it's just somebody walking through these doors with four human faces, man, I'll tell you what, we'll be freaked out. Is that okay word to use in church? I hope so. <laughs> if I've just lost you, then God bless your heart. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I wonder some of you will start screaming. Ah, what's going on? This is what is there. And he goes on to say now, listen to this. They had four faces and each one had wings. Now, it, it, it explains their faces and so on. Now, it goes into verse 10. And for the likeness of their faces, each had face of a man, each had, of the four had the face of a lion on the right side, each of them had, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle. Now, imagine that. If there were people, a man walking in with four human faces, we'll be running. If somebody walks in like this, man, you'll get out of the windows. Yes. You'll be running to the fridge. <laughs> Through the curtain. <laughs> this is who's there, and these are holy beings. Not as holy as God, they were created by God. Now, this is the point I wanted to make here. I'm, you can go and read the whole chapter. It's fantastic, okay? How they, they've got also eyes, which is explained. But here's the thing. John saw, and he says, the first creature was like a lion. The second was like a calf. The third was like a man. Those are still the four. Is it, does it mean then that the Bible is contradicting itself? No. No, it's not. What John saw was from one angle. And as he describes in the book of Ezekiel, on the left and on the right, on the front, they had different faces. So he could see, and what he saw was each one of these faces that was pointing towards him. How wonderful is it what we see? The faces of these creatures. They are good creatures. Don't fear for them. Um, now what is this faces meaning? And there's a lot of people who write a lot of things about it. Uh, some say it's the tribes as they were traveled. And it's true, they were traveling in four tribes when they traveled through, through the wilderness. Four tribes, it's fascinating. If you would have flown with an uh, airplane over them traveling, you would see the cross from the top. The altar was always in the middle. If you're going to read the numbers, the one tribe was the longest tribe. They, they didn't just walk in a whole group. They, they traveled like this. Two short tribes on the side with numbers and a short on the top. It looked like the cross. Some say, you know, Judah was the lion, Ephraim is the ox, Reuben, which are the tribes, the leading tribes, and Dan the eagle. It also points to the gospel. Matthew is the lion gospel, which shows Jesus out of the tribe of Judah. Mark is the ox. If you read through the book of Mark, it shows Jesus as the servant. And in Luke, we find Jesus as the man, and in John, like an eagle, if you read through these passages. Look, I'm just hurrying on to finish with worship tonight, today. In Revelation chapter 4 verse 8, he says, The four living creatures each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day nor night, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. 
Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. What happens? You see it there. The 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their thrones before Him, the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by You will they exist and were created. What John is seeing is a worship service in heaven around the throne. Here is these living creatures which I just explained to you. They look at the throne and all they can say is holy, 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 holy. Do you think they like a tape recorder which is just saying it over again and over again? No. I want to suggest, suggest to you that every time they say holy is because they see a new attribute of God. And all they can say is holy. A new attribute, holy. How many attributes of God have you seen in your life? It's all there. And what do you say about it? It's mine, it's me, you know, best life now. Bless me, God. No, no. I don't see these angels doing that. They give reference and holiness to God. It belongs to Him. It is so fantastic, friends. You, you see, the word that he uses for Lord God Almighty is the word Pantocrator, which means he's the ruler over all. And you asked me this morning, so what? I'm telling you, he's the ruler of everything on this earth. He's the ruler of my life. Everything happens by him, for him, and through him. The Pantocrator, the King of Kings. And then, you know, they start this worship, the angels. They go, holy, holy, holy. And what happens? Here comes mankind, and what do they do with those thrones? Do you think we're going to walk around with the thrones and go, oh, look at your, oh, that's great. Look at my throne. Do you think that is why God is giving? No, no. It is a sign. It is a thing for worship. We take it off and worship. You see, it's not as if we're going to walk on our achievements in heaven. Oh, you know the Bible way more than this brother. So, you know, you've got a big achievement. You've got a bigger crown. There's some people who think they're going to walk like this under the weight of their crowns. No, that's not what it is, friends. We need to understand the heavenly economics, ec economy. You see, this is, the, this is throwing it before God. It's putting it before God and worshiping God. To, and, and these 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and lives. And listen to what they say. They don't say best life now and what is in it for me, God. No, no, because they are washed by the blood of the Lamb. Their focus is not earthly anymore, it's heavenly. So you ask me, so what? You know what you and I need to, to learn from that? Nothing on this earth belongs to us anymore. It belongs to God. We are, it's just going through. Your money doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. And if God comes to you one day and He says, I want you to do this, you do that because you do it for God. Your life belongs to God. Why do you think Paul comes out in Romans chapter 12 verse 1 and he says that we need to give our bodies as a living sacrifice to God? These are people who gave their bodies as living sacrifices to God. And now, because of that, their heart is in the right place. They say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by you existing, everything was created. Can somebody just go and call my wife, please, for the music? I want to end by asking you, how is your worship? 
How is your worship this morning? Are you worshiping God with all of your heart and your might? You see, this is not an invitation. I've been part of invitations where you call people to the front to make. This is not that. Listen carefully to me this morning. This is a commandment. I'm going to say it again. Your worship is not a choice. No, no, listen to me this morning. Child of God, saint of God, your worship this morning to the holy God is not a matter of choice. It's a matter of a commandment from God. In the book of the law, in Exodus, he says, Thou will have no other gods than me. That's why I say this morning, we're not on the law, but you are under the commandment to worship God. How is your worship this morning? Are you still worshiping Him for everything that's within you? If so, friend, praise Him. Give Him glory and honor because He's worthy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so excited this morning by Your Word. I thank You, Father, for Your Word, which is powerful. It is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. And this morning, Father, I thank You that Your Word did cut between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Father, I am challenged by Your Word. And I pray that the people here today are challenged by Your Word. Father, we belong to You and we thank You that You gave us the opportunity and the privilege to have a peek into heaven just a small peek to see from your earthly eyes and understanding what John saw. But what a day that will be when my Jesus, I will see. Hallelujah. And he takes me by the hand and leads me through the promised land. Father, this morning I pray for everybody here gathered and I pray, Lord, that you will touch their hearts. Let this message burn in their hearts as we go back into our daily works, Father. And let me know that worshiping you is the most important thing we have in life. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you feeling refreshed in your spirit this morning? Amen. Oh, my soul, be glad, for salvation is at hand. Amen.